Welcome to a new episode of the Audio Investing Podcast, where we talk about engaging topics about investing, personal finance, and business. This show is hosted by Rodrigo Valverde. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Audio Investing Podcast, the best podcast to start off your investing journey towards financial dependence, where we are bullish in value and where you learn what I didn't teach you about investing. It's your host here, Rodrigo, and today we're going to learn about fintech and where the money is at as an industry and some stocks in particular. The way money is moving is changing. Fintech is a combination of words finance and technology, and it's a broad category made up of companies that apply new technology to financial businesses. For example, companies that develop new digital payment processing solutions are considered fintech, as are companies that build and operate person-to-person payment applications. Some of the services and products that fintech offer are payment processing, online and mobile banking, online and peer-to-peer, person-to-person payment, financial software, and financial services. The big banks have taken note on the growing influence that these fintechs are having within the financial sector, as they are managing to improve the customer experience and provide better solutions. So, banks are starting to either adapt and create their own digital fintech ecosystem, or if they can't do anything better, they are working directly with them. The shift towards more consumer-oriented services is the reason why it's attracting so many people to even switch from banks to fintech. However, people at the moment are still not as confident yet in these companies. Most people still prefer to pay with their bank and use their services first. Fintech now includes different sectors and industries such as education, retail banking, fundraising and nonprofit, and investment management, just to name a few. Fintech can also include basically any innovation made within the financial sector, including financial education, retail banking, investing, and cryptos. Stock trading apps are an example. Peer-to-peer lending apps, which provides competition for better, for providing uh, even lower interest rates. Online robo-algorithm-based software that provides portfolio management, budgeting tools, wealth management, and uh, any personal finance sort of software or algorithms for keeping track of income and expenses. The four users of fintech are business-to-business for banks, business-to-business for banks' clients, business-to-client for small and medium-sized businesses, and the business-to-client for consumers. Fintech also includes the development and the use of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. That segment of fintech may see the most headlines. The big money still lies in the traditional global banking industry and its multi-trillion dollar market capitalization. Fintech now describes a variety of financial activities, such as money transfers, depositing a check with your smartphone, bypassing a bank branch to apply for credit, raising money for a business startup, or managing your investments, generally without the assistance of a person, of an individual. According to Ernst & Young's 2017 Fintech Adoption Index, one-third of consumers utilize at least one at least, uh, no, not one, two or more fintech services, and those consumers are also increasingly aware of fintech 
as a part of their daily lives. And because of this massive opportunity, lots of startups have come to scene where around 80-90% to close within the first two years. In Spain, for example, there are over 400 fintech startups right now, according to a Spanish journal called El Referente. According to Scoop, in 2018, there were over 12,100 fintech startups in the world. Reveal the the statistical data that they used. And with nearly 5,700 startups that year were uh, in North America. And they're basically the leading region globally. Europe, the Middle East, and Africa followed with almost 3,600 companies. Over 40% of fintech startups come from North America. This is probably due to the case that there there isn't so much uh, regulation. Because, for example, in the European Union, what we have here is first the national regulation. And then we've got the regulation that each country may have, which is different. And then there's the commission, the European Union. And then, of course, there's the different cultures that each country has. Like places like in the U.S., uh, it's a whole national culture, you know, and there's already like 320-something million people living in the U.S. So, and yeah, sure, they have their own federal regulations and stuff, I guess, but it's it's not the same as, as in Europe where we have a diverse variety of different cultures. And in the case of a startup, for example, Moving on to some examples I'd love to share with you guys. There's a startup called Affirm. They provide credit to consumers who do online shopping to secure immediate short-term loans for purchases, while at the same time leaving out credit card companies. Even though interest rates may be high, uh, remember, remember the episode about loans? There's a lot of interesting information there about loans. It provides credit to people who may not have good credit scores but it also helps these people to improve their scores. You get the chance to select your preferred payment method and they let you know the full cost of the loan, including the interest. So you would pay them monthly and they would remind you when your next payment is due. Your credit score will not be affected when you check your eligibility, even when we when they perform a credit check. If you decide to buy with a firm, your loan and payments may affect your credit score. And if you pay on time, this will help build a positive credit history. Then there's Better Mortgage, who seeks to streamline the mortgage process by eliminating brokers, unnecessary bureaucracy, and any time lags. They do it all within the app, and they give you all the details for the cost of the home, the taxes, credit, the principal, the interest, the insurance cost, all that kind of stuff. There are no lender fees, and no commissions. And it's a digital-only offering that can be that can reward users with a verified pre-approval letter within 24 hours of applying. Then there's Coinbase, which is an app that I use, which is an online platform for buying, selling, and managing digital currencies that provides users with secure mobile access to their digital assets. So it's for buying stuff like uh, cryptocurrencies. Coinbase supports. 32 countries, and has exchanged more than $150 billion in various forms of digital currencies, including Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Then there's also Acorns, which I find very interesting. Acorns is a micro-savings app that works by rounding up your purchases to an even number and investing the difference for you. 
by linking your credit card and checking account, Acorns reads your spending habits on your credit card and they round it each to the transaction up to the nearest whole number. It invests change from purchases in a diversified portfolio. Other products and services include IRAs, debit accounts, and uh, informational content that enables users to invest automatically and learn as they go. Then there's the infamous app within the investing and trading space known as Robinhood, which is an investment application that allows users to invest for free from a desktop or mobile device. Because there's no physical locations or individual account management services, Robinhood aims to make investing accessible to would-be traders who can't quite swing the fees of a traditional brokerage house. But how do they make money, you may ask, if there are no fees on Robinhood? Now, Robinhood's story is very interesting because the stock trading app launched in the shadow of the 2008 crisis when the market bottomed and there was a massive recession. The name comes from the fairy tale character that you may have guessed, Robin Hood, who stole from the rich and gave to the poor. They wanted to focus on user experience and make sure everyone could trade without having to pay fees, which means saving millions, even maybe billions, for customers worth in commissions. Robin Hood and all fintech apps is so great uh, because. It's all mobile. Everything can be done from the comfort of your phones anytime, anywhere. Now, Robinhood has over 13 million users and is valued at $10.2 billion as of quarter two, 2020. They make money through something called payment for order flow. Payment for order flow. Essentially, when a person trades on the app, Robinhood sends that trade to a larger entity which is able to leverage thousands of orders at once for a slight advantage. The larger entity then compensates Robinhood for the orders. For a single trade, Robinhood often receives less than a penny. However, as Robinhood has scaled up to 13 million users, it has started to generate significant amounts from the practice of this method. So basically, the higher the volume in trading, the more money Robinhood makes. Supposedly, the order flow model is supposed to enhance liquidity and facilitate the execution of the number of trades realized. But it's not very transparent, it's kind of opaque, and is slightly unclear to fully understand. So that's when the SEC has to come in and regulate. Some doubt on the fairness that the system may have since trades are provided to entities who are aware of the moves that retail traders are making, and hence they can manipulate the market to their best interest. They're planning on filing an IPO sometime soon, so it might be a great way to finance business and help them get some cash for improving their own business, as I think they have a pretty interesting future ahead. And there's many more fintech startups that you can check out. The list simply goes on. The opportunity for future growth is priceless. It completely changes the way we deal with our money. And basically, make sure that any fintech and if maybe you're just thinking about starting a fintech, the company has to be able to solve a problem, provide a great experience for users, that it has loyalty, and of course it has an emotional attachment to those consumers. So it's not so much just of pay and get this reward. It has to be an emotional experience that customers should enjoy.
So take into account those things when you're looking or want to invest potentially in a fintech company. So now let's take a look at what stocks are out there and whether or not they may be a potential buy. So first, there's Square. Square is a company with a lot of long-term potential. This is a company that over the past five years experienced a 63.5% annual earnings growth and is forecasted to earn over 57% per year. They've been profitable for three, three straight quarters now, so COVID has actually helped them accelerate growth. Square Incorporated provides, together with its subsidiaries, payment and point-of-sale solutions in the United States and internationally. The company's com- e-commerce commerce ecosystem includes point-of-sale software and hardware that offers sellers-to-payment and point-of-sale solutions. According to The Motley Fool, the company now processes card payments at an annualized rate of over $100 billion. It has a thriving small business lending platform, Square Capital, and it has started to gain serious traction with larger merchants in addition to its core small business clientele. The Cash App and Square Online Store is Square's main strength. The Cash App enables to send, spend, and store money, and there are 24 million monthly active users heading into 2020 and virtually unlimited potential to build out its consumer financial service offerings. Right now, their priced earnings is 221.41 times bigger, so it's extremely overvalued and based on discounted cash flow, the stock price is about 450% overvalued, meaning that its current price is at $155, while its fair value should be at approximately $30, which is insane. Then we've got the unmatchable leader in online payments, which is PayPal. Earnings are forecast to grow 21.29% per year, while earnings have grown 16.6% uh, year over the past per year over the past five years. According to Moldy Fool's analysis, its Venmo person-to-person payment platform has emerged as an industry leader and continues to grow its massive user base at a breathtaking pace. PayPal has also been acquiring complementary businesses such as e-commerce tool Honey and has been building up partnerships that could greatly expand its target markets. PayPal has over 325 million active accounts, but CEO Dan Schulman believes that the company can actually grow this figure to a billion in the not-too-distant future. The COVID-19 pandemic could even help accelerate PayPal's growth, as more people are choosing to shop online and send money to friends and family electronically, again according to Motley Fool's analysis. However, debt has been increasing from 0.8% debt-to-equity to 50.5% debt-to-equity over the past five years. But 70% of its, of its debt is covered by operating cash flow, which is good because they manage to pay that debt with the money that they make from their services. Their price to earnings is 84.6, so still quite high, while their fair value is $136 and is currently trading at around $180 per share, so again, it's overvalued approximately, between 30 to 36%, according to analysts. And then next, we've got Green Dot. It operates in two segments, account services and processing and settlement services. The company offers deposit account programs such as network-branded reloadable 
prepaid debit cards under the consumer brand names of GPR cards, consumer and small business checking accounts, network branded gift cards, secured credit cards, payroll debit cards, and other financial services. The company's debit card business remains a large one, but it's losing market share to companies like Square and PayPal, which offer new and innovative solutions to the same problem. However, Green Dot has started to try to capitalize on its key advantage. It has a banking charter, with moves like introducing a savings account with a 2% yield to Walmart money card customers and uh, appointing a highly experienced CEO to head up the banking efforts. Its banking as a service is used by companies such as Apple, Uber, and Stash. And in a nutshell, Green Dot lets companies offer banking products without having to become banks themselves. Think of Apple Pay Cash, for example. Green Dot essentially lets these companies use its banking infrastructure to power their products, and this could be a major growth industry in the future. Their earnings are forecast to grow by over 57% per year, and they've got an excellent balance sheet with very low debt, extremely low debt, but it's overvalued with price to earnings at over 54 and over 57% overvalued in terms of fair value, with the current price trading at 52.78, when fair value should be around $33.5. And finally, we finish off with Mercado Libre, or Mercado Libre, depends how you pronounce. Often referred to as the Amazon.com of Latin America, and the nickname certainly makes sense. The company has a massive e-commerce business that continues to grow at an impressive pace. However, it's Mercado Pago payments platform that is most exciting from a fintech perspective. The business processes billions of dollars and payment volume every quarter, and it's growing very fast. And most encouraging is that most encouraging thing about it is that processing it's processing even more payments outside Mercado, Mercado Libre's e-commerce platform than on it. A partnership with PayPal and lots of potential in the Latin American payment space mean that Mercado's, Mercado Pago's growth can have a meteoric rise in the future. Earnings for Mercado Libre is expected to grow over 62% annually. They've got a brilliant balance sheet, tons of cash, and debt has been decreasing over the past five years. But there's bad news. Since people are so hyped by the fact that Mercado Libre can be the next Amazon and people don't want to have, have the fear of missing out, it's already trading at $1,214 when fair value should be around $42, according to analysts. They aren't profitable at the moment and their share price to net asset value, their price to book, is over 33 times greater. It's 33x, meaning that it's extremely overvalued. But, uh, I mean, tons of future potential and they're for sure going to make profits sometime soon. Then there's also, of course, MasterCard, Visa, and even Goldman Sachs, who have plans for the future with consumer finance. In fact, Visa and MasterCard are both trading at below fair value, according to analysts. And, of course, have lots of future potential as well as earnings growth. And, of course, they're very well-established businesses with a moat, meaning that they have a competitive advantage with respect to the competitors and, of course, many years of experience within the industry. So it's completely up to you, what company, what stock you want to invest in. In general, a lot of them are overvalued. So 
in my opinion, it would be best to maybe wait until the prices drop a bit so that you can buy them at a better price. But uh, nonetheless, if you're very confident and you're willing to take the risk, go ahead. This is not advice, this is just my opinion. And that's it for today, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you found this episode interesting. Make sure to subscribe or follow and share this podcast if you haven't already, as I'm building a community with expanding reach so that I can make people aware about investing, personal finance, and financial independence. Listen to this episode again to retain knowledge better because you learn with repetition. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn. You can find me as the Audio Investing Podcast. And on LinkedIn, you can find me as Rodrigo Valverde Nuño. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to have you back next time. Have a wonderful day. See you. Bye.